0: Jacob thank you very much good morning everybody and I've had another miracle this week I often say I get miracles every week you know or even every day but this is an interesting one uh... we've lived on the property where we are 27 years and we have a dam it's been empty for five years it takes a certain kind of rain to put water in that dam, ordinary rain doesn't do it even if you get a lot of ordinary rain it can rain all day and all night you can have many inches you still won't get water in that dam. And it's because something about the, the landform around us, we have, we have hills and, and valleys, and the water all runs toward the dam and never ends up in it. There's something about that ground, both sides of the dam off on those angles where the water comes to a certain point and just disappears. But that's beautiful because it's filling the underground aquifers. We run the property off a of bore, plenty of water, beautiful windmill, we don't actually need water in the dam except I got horses, we're going away for three months and without water in the dam you're relying on electricity and pressure pumps and float valves and the hoses that connect and you to have one thing go wrong and the water fails at the trough and the horses die, except because you're having your neighbours check it anyway this kind of rain we've had does it, is not dam filling rain there's only one kind of rain that's dam filling rain and in a good year we get it once and we get it in January and it fills that dam and that water will last us 18 months to two years but if the January rain fails you're usually out of water and we've gone five years with the dam empty because those that specific kind of rain hasn't come Anyway, we had a week of rain. I mean, all up, we had two inches, three inches spread it over four, five, six days. And that kind of rain, it puts a puddle in the bottom of the dam. And when the rain stops, that puddle is gone within one week or two weeks, you know, a spit. Anyway, I woke up two or three mornings ago. It it had rained, you know, bits and pieces, four or five days. And I remember I had a bit of a dream. I thought, oh, so I started praying because I thought it would be very handy to have some water in that dam while we're away, so we're not totally relying on pressure pumps. So I asked the Lord if we would put a, a good slab of water in the dam. Didn't need to fill it right up, but you know, give me a good level of water for these horses. And, but the rain was all, it was petering out by that stage and it didn't rain much that day, and it didn't rain that night, we had a few mill in the rain gauge. Anyway, and when I went, when the day ended of course, I was just expecting oh some special rain will come but no rain came particularly, but the next morning when I got up and just going about the business, look at them, window. thought, there's oh, all this water in the dam, and, but where did it come from? <laughs> One of those Crucible miracles, right? There's, there's, we've lived there 27 years, it has never happened before. Water appeared, a whole body of water, <laughs> after a 24-hour period in which it hadn't really rained much. Right. So anyway, thank God we do get Miracles. Just one more on my long list of things to thank God for. He knows how to flatten floods and he knows how to bring dams up. Isn't, isn't that good? Anyway, uh, about the summit, I've invited three guests. And they're all coming. And you'll be very interested to meet these people. Each of them are conducting apostolic ministry in Australia. They have a great heart. They're good people. Um, I love them all. This is David and Tina Vacker from the Brisbane area, Springfield. David has churches in all through the Pacific and in New Zealand and he he has a big heart for the apostolic and seeking to develop apostolic ministry and teach the apostolic all through the Pacific as well as in Australia. Uh, um, And they're Pacific people, David and Tina Vacker and just great people and I ministered for them a year or two ago uh, in their church and then paul and trisha both are from perth paul is an australian but actually he came from south africa and he's married an aboriginal lady who comes from central queensland and both of them highly gifted highly articulate great people and uh, he's gathering leaders in western australia instructing them in the apostolic you know causing quite a uh, a, um, a conversation to go on with ministers and leaders. And then there's Daryl Roos, who is the leader of the work in Mariba, and has connections all through the North and on the ground, doing very, very important apostolic ministry. All of these are actually doing apostolic ministry. All of them I know. All of them I visited their churches, ministered for them. And uh, they anyway, they're all coming to the summit because I thought you'd like to meet them, you'd like to hear from them, you'd like to hear what they're actually trying to do on the ground and what they feel the apostolic is and where it's meant to go. So we give them all their their windows to tell us all about that, we'll get to know them, we will pray for them and it would be very good for everyone here to realise we've got these connections and you know valid and important and um, you know getting on with it ministries from all different directions you know from up the north, from down the south, from out the west, there you go. So uh, that's only three weeks away, so don't, don't miss any part of the summit because, you know, I've got, I've got this difficult job of where to put all the bits and uh, so that it all hangs together marvelously. All right, well, let's have a prayer. We're going to open the Word of God. Father, thank you for the Word of God. It transforms our souls and our bodies because you said He said His Word and healed them. And thank you for that healing the deliverance of our souls and healing of our bodies, the salvation of our souls, the shattering of powers of darkness. Thank you. He sent his word and healed them. Lord, we receive this word today, the imparted word that's able to save our souls. Now, Holy Spirit, come and be our teacher and flood every heart here with the spirit of understanding. Lord, this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I have something really, really interesting show you today and uh, explain. And uh, the subject, or at least the title I've put on it, is called Our Altar of Incense. It does pertain back to what we've been talking about for a couple of weeks already about intercession and prayer and forgiveness and those things. But I want you to see something that you might not have stopped to think about. After my message last Sunday, Ross Blamey, who'd been listening to it, he's been talking and very passionately about, uh, about incense and the order of incense that was in the tabernacle and, and how it relates to really what I'm saying. So I thought, right, I'm gonna take up that subject, explain it to you. Ross, by the way, will be here for the summit and something I need to let you know so you don't get a surprise when he comes in the door. But Ross uh, lost his wife some years ago and Ross has in his last little while, this last year, uh, developed uh, an, a good relationship with someone that's um, a wonderful Christian lady. They are marrying on the Saturday before the summit, and for her honeymoon, she wants to come to the summit. She has pleaded, she has insisted. So anyway, that's where they'll be right here at the summit, and you'll meet Felicity. Um, anyway, be sure to give them the, the warmest of welcome, and Felicity, get to know her a little bit. And of course, she's helping to make Ross a more classy person. <laughs> this is what happens. <laughs> it's like it's like when you know Mori O'Connell married Kathy you know he was no longer he was Maurice you know like (laughs) cut off the moustache anyway so uh, anyway Exodus 30 put the scripture on the screen for us let's go right back to the tabernacle here's a little picture of what it was like inside the tabernacle here's the instructions given to Moses and you shall put it and you shall put it in front of the veil what's it talking about? A piece of furniture called the altar of incense. You shall put it in front of the veil that is above the ark of the testimony in front of the mercy seat that is above the testimony where I'll meet with you. That sounds like a bit of gobbledygook but i will try to give you a clear metal picture. And Aaron shall burn fragrant incense on it every morning when he dresses the lamps he shall burn it and when Aaron sets up the lamps at twilight he shall burn it a regular incense offering before the Lord throughout your generations now what's this all about the tabernacle in the wilderness what was decreed for israel uh, under the old covenant given at sinai what was set up was a temporary covenant, covenant that would prepare the way for the gospel and the cross it was a temporary covenant and once the eternal covenant of peace through the blood of christ was put in place the old covenant is superseded and rescinded But the old covenant had in it all this preparation so that when the gospel came, you would understand the gospel. And that when the body of Christ came and you became saints and you became priests, you would understand your role and how to walk with God. So all the trappings of the old covenant were symbolic. Now try and be clear about this in your head. All the trappings of the old covenant, the system of sacrifices the priesthood, the tabernacle, the way it was designed, the furnishings, the way they carried out the daily rituals, it was never meant to be a permanent religion. It was simply something set up that was picturesque and uh, imaginative. Here, Here it was. It was physical. You could see it. There was a ritual to be performed, but all of this symbolized what was to come and which would replace it. So when we look at the tabernacle and the priesthood and the, and the offerings, the sacrifices, they, are, they all educated Jews for generations and generations so, and there were scriptures and prophets so that when Jesus came, he had a highly educated people to come to. And when he died and rose again and the Holy Spirit was poured out, they already had all this background, all these scriptures, and a multitude of Jews and priests and Pharisees came into the church, now saved, now Christians, but fully formed with Bible knowledge and understanding of how to worship, how to walk with God, and how to preach the meaning of the scriptures. So if I talk to you about the tabernacle and its furnishings, if we narrow down now to this thing, we're narrowing down on something that is a symbol for what we are and must do and the way we must function I'm not wanting you to go back and keep the symbol I'm wanting you to simply take that as a springboard to give us a picture of ah that's what it's all about so in the tabernacle there was furniture it quickly put the tabernacle was a very fancy tent that had two rooms and in front of each of those rooms was a heavy veil and outside of that was uh, the altar on which were sacrifices made, The the priest there would offer blood sacrifices, animal sacrifices, and there was also a big dish for washing. So sacrifice for sins, offerings to God, and ritual washing were all part of what took place outside the tabernacle. You go inside the tent, you have two rooms, but only a priest could go beyond the first veil. So when Worshippers came to offer sacrifices the priest had to take it from them offer it for them he represented them but behind the priest is a curtain a veil the ordinary person could not even see into the first room called the holy place only priests could go in there and in that room there were three pieces of furniture and on one side and it's a rectangle the first room is a rectangle and the second room is a square on, the, on one side you had the, the candlestick and it was this multi-branch affair, the menorah, but it was fashioned after a, a, a flowering and budded and fruiting almond tree. And so here it had, it was, it was one lamp but with multiple lights and, and it lit, it was burning all the time and it lit the, that first room. On the other side halfway in was a table for what is called the bread of the presence. And on that table were 12 loaves of bread. Now these are flat loaves stacked up in two stacks and they represented the 12 tribes of Israel. So the light of God from the Lamb always shining on the, on the people of God and blessing and so on. But this is halfway in, but right down the other end of the first room, I mean, these rooms are not huge. Remember they're symbolic and they've got to carry them around the desert everywhere they go. Down the end of that room, Right in the middle and right in front of the veil was the altar of incense. A cubit wide on the top, a cubit deep, so a square top and two cubits high. In other words, three foot high, 18 inches square for all those who are still uh, ambidextrous with their measurements. <laughs> so, <clears throat> it, had, it was completely covered with gold had little horns you know and this was where the priests would burn incense morning and night morning and night morning and night every day outside every morning and every night a sacrifice called the morning sacrifice and the evening sacrifice but inside every morning every night the light trimmed and fueled up and the incense burned now focusing on this incense here was incense being offered continually, day and night, but refreshed every morning, refreshed every night before the Lord. But here's what's really, really interesting. It's up, it's up hard against the curtain, this great veil. Only the high priest could go in there once a year on the day of atonement, and he had to be carrying blood. But the Bible has another special provision. The smoke of this incense and its sweet-smelling savour the beautiful smell of it was in this place up against the curtain because the odor of it and the smoke of it had to go over the top of the one thing that was in the Holy of Holies. In the Holy of Holies was the Ark of the Covenant, of which you've all heard. Inside the, the, the Ark of the Covenant is a, is a gold-covered box with a lid with two cherubim, Inside the Ark of the Covenant, Ark simply means a vessel, something that carries, something that holds. Inside the ark were the tablets of the testimony. That is, that the two stones, two stone tablets upon which the Lord had written the Ten Commandments. They were placed in the Ark when it was made. It was placed in the Holy of Holies. The presence of the Lord was there, and the smoke of the incense had to, had to go in over the top of this. What does it all mean? And by the way, the, te- the, the, the two tablets of stone, the tablets of the covenant or the tablets of the testimony which were in the ark were covered. There was a lid on the box and that lid on the box over which the smoke of the incense rose is called the mercy seat the mercy seat and Aaron once a year with the day of atonement would sprinkle blood uh, in various places to do with that the mercy seat now what does it all mean this incense rising before the Lord and rising above the mercy seat and filling going into where the presence of God was is symbolic of the prayers of the saints and the service of the saints the worship of the saints very very important piece of symbolism in fact the old covenant law said that the the smoke of the incense or the sweet savour of the incense had to be in place over the mercy seat or the high priest, when he went in, would die. So, anyway, there's your, there's your Old Testament picture. And um, Psalm 14, sorry, Psalm 141 let my prayer, this is David, let my prayer be counted as incense before you, and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. When you get to the prophet Malachi, chapter 1, he writes actually he's he's speaking is the Lord speaking Malachi recording it from the rising of the sun to its setting my name will be great among the nations Now he's speaking of the future the far future and in every place incense will be offered to my name and a pure offering for my name will be great among the nations says the Lord of hosts now this particular incense could only be offered by the priests at the tabernacle so Malachi cannot possibly be talking about this kind of incense, that which was under-prescribed by the law, because how, you can't offer it in every place. No, the prophet is looking forward to the day, the Lord is speaking of a day when the church would be everywhere, believers everywhere, worship everywhere, but from every place, prayer being offered up to God morning and night. But knowing this about the order of incense... Really uh, opens up some things because you often read things say in the Gospels and skim right over them. They don't stand out at all. But take a look at this. This is the birth of John the Baptist foretold in Luke. Um, Take it in three little sections. First of all verses 5 to 7. In the days of Herod king of Judea there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron and her name was Elizabeth. They're both righteous before God walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord, statutes, but they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were events in years. Now you're all familiar with the story. These were the parents of John the Baptist and they'd prayed and prayed and prayed obviously for children and they'd never been granted and all of a sudden in their older age, something is about to happen. Now look at the setting though, of verses eight to 10. Now, while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. Notice how the the Jewish culture had developed this concept that at the hour of the burning of the incense, this was an hour of prayer a whole crowd outside praying while the priest goes in and offers the incense now we go to verse 11 so here's Zechariah inside and where is he he's up against the altar of incense and he's burning incense and this is not a big table and imagine it's the size of this table here he's going to be right here and guess what happens verse 11 and there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense imagine the fright you'd get All of a sudden there's a huge angel standing right here. And Zechariah was troubled. When he saw him and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him do not be afraid Zechariah. For your prayer has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. And you shall call his name John. I'm just pointing out to you some of the detail that's in scripture. That we otherwise would pass over. However there's a mystery to be cleared up before we. Um, make some applications of all of this, because if you've been an observant reader of the Bible, you will have read in in numerous places in the Old Testament that the altar of incense was in the holy place, along with the the lampstand and the bread of the presence. But when you come to the Book of Hebrews. The fellow the way he describes the f- furnishings makes it sound like the altar of incense is in the holy of holies with the ark of the covenant and you think well is this an error uh, did the fellow who wrote the book of hebrews get it wrong because it's very very clear it says it over and over and over in the old testament that the only thing in the holy of holies was the ark of the covenant and that there was a veil, the veil was right in front of the Ark of the Covenant and that the altar of incense had to be on the other side of the veil but up close, up very close and yet in the book of Hebrews it appears to say that the furnishings were two and two not three and one and I'll show you the passage but there is an explanation and it's very important to you Here's Hebrews 9. For a tent was prepared, the first section in which were the lampstand and the table and the bread of the presence. That is the bread on the table. So he names two things. It is called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a second section called the most holy place. Having the golden altar of incense and the ark of the covenant covered on all sides with gold. Stop there does that sound like he's put the altar of incense on the other side of the curtain now this is where scholars and people familiar with the language get to think about it because anytime something that looks like a discrepancy comes up they ponder and they say oh what could it mean and there is something about this that when you're familiar with it and pondered a bit, oh, becomes very obvious. And when I went back and looked at one or two, some of the emphasis that was placed in the writings of Moses, I realized, oh yeah, that is correct. That it turns out that even though the altar of incense was on this side of the curtain, spiritually, dynamically, it was very much part of what the Holy of Holies was all about. And the reason that it's up against the curtain is because it's closely associated with the whole meaning and purpose of the Holy of Holies. That this is where the incense was to go. And so what the fellow who writes Hebrews seems to have clearly in mind is that even though the piece of furniture was sitting this side of the curtain, it pertained to the other side. In other words, it was standing in this room, but spiritually it belonged to that room. And there's a reason there's a curtain between the altar of incense and the Holy of Holies. And if, you, if, you, if your thinking is running ahead of me a bit, think about the moment Christ died. And in that very moment, there was not only, not only did he let out, uh, let out a loud cry and give up his spirit, you know, into Thy hands I commit my spirit. And there was a huge earthquake. But in that very moment, the veil that was in the temple was torn from top to bottom. Imagine the great hands of some angel just ripping that thing apart and pushing the curtain right back to the side. So now it's one room, and here you have the altar of incense up very close to the. There's now there's now no longer this division. The death of Christ opens the way. This is why Scripture speaks so much, so much about he, he he opened the way for us. In fact, the Christian life in all the early years was called the way. Anyway, just be clear in your mind that the offerings on the altar of incense have very much to do with the throne of God. Every time you pray, every time you kneel to pray, every time you stand to worship, every time you lift up holy hands, every time you sit to listen, You are in the presence of God, you are offering up incense, and you are before the very throne of God. You are right up at the throne of God. You are not a long, long away, but you are with Him. The altar of incense, then, is a very important symbol for your heart, your worship, your service your offerings to God, that is the offering of your time and your love, your prayers, your intercession. You're offering up incense to the Lord. It's not actually incense, but it's the thing that incense represents. And the scripture says in various places, it is a sweet fragrance to God. What's a sweet fragrance? Your life when you're prayerful your life when you're obedient, your life when you serve other people. Let's take a quick look at a couple of the scriptures that pertain to it. Here's Revelation 8 that gives us such a clear picture. And another angel came and stood at the altar. Here's John in heaven, seeing things in heaven. And, and bear in mind, some of these again are symbols, but they're clear. Another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer, and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints. Ah, finally has being tied together. What's the prayers of all the saints being offered with much incense on the golden altar before the throne and the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth and there were peals of thunder rumblings, flashings of lightning and an earthquake if you want a cause Power on the earth if you'd like to cause a few rumblings some some passionate flashes of lightning if you if you want to bring the power of God to your circumstances to the city to the earth you 're in prayer you're offering up your worship and your incense to the lord and the the there's a sense in which when you fill bowls with your prayers in heaven those bowls are poured out scripture speaks of this and so we're called to offer these fragrant offerings here's um, Ephesians 5 verse 1 therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God what's the fragrant offering here is it referring to Christ loved us and gave himself up for it? No, I think take it back a phrase. And walk in love, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. It's very much to do with be imitators of Christ. If you live this life imitating him by which you love, you, you love others, you serve others out of love, you, you imitate Christ and you love the brethren, this is a fragrant offering unto the Lord. Here's another example of Philippians 4. I've received full payment and more. I'm well supplied having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. A fragrant offering. A sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. In this case what was the fragrant offering? The fact that this church was so generous to meet the needs of Paul. More than any other church. In fact for some time the only church. But they were were meeting his needs. They were sending generous offerings. And Paul says it was a fragrant offering. A sacrifice pleasing to the Lord. Now here's an interesting example. Acts chapter 10. At Caesarea there was a man. Now by the way this is when the gospel. Up to this first 10 years of. Up until Acts chapter 10. You've had about 10 years go past. And the gospel has only gone to Jews and Samaritans. You're about to find a breakout. A breakout and it goes to the Gentiles. The Jews in their mind never ever thought to take the gospel to the Gentiles. The, remember the Jews had no dealings. You know, they, they, in fact, the the Jews had a saying that the Gentiles were nothing, they didn't count. Uh, Anyway, the Lord had to break all this because scripture from the very beginning said, even to Abraham, Gentiles, 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 it's all about the, the, Gentiles means nations. That's what it means. It means the nations. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohorts, who is a Roman centurion. But verse 2, a devout man who feared God with all his household. With all his household, that's interesting. His wife, his children, his servants, his soldiers. He feared God with all his household gave alms generously to the people so he was constantly helping the poor and prayed continually to God. Isn't it interesting that you get a Gentile centurion devout and prays continually. Now he's not a Jewish believer but he somehow he knew he was a God fearer. He must have known the word of God. He must have have known the scriptures. Verse three, about the ninth hour of the day. Now the ninth hour of the day is three o'clock in the afternoon. So here he is, he's in prayer at three. How often do you go to prayer at three? It must have suited his timetable. Perhaps he'd got all the, all the soldiers in order for the day and he, should, and he had a bit of free time, goes to prayer. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, now look at the statement. Your prayers and your arms have ascended as a memorial before God. Incense. Come up before the Lord. His prayers and his arms. I tell you, the Lord forgets nothing. He remembers the prayers you prayed 20 years ago. You keep believing, he will answer them. Now send, the men to Joppa, send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who's called Peter. When we get to Joppa though, verse 9 of the same chapter, look at this statement. The next day as they are on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. So this is around noon, around lunchtime. What do you notice in their story? They're all turning to prayer, and they're all men. These are strong men. These are good men. And, and yet the daily habit is go to prayer, and go to prayer every opportunity you get. The first hour, the third hour, the sixth hour, the ninth hour, morning and evening. These are the morning sacrifices and the evening sacrifices. This is offering up incense from the altar every morning, every night. David went one better. He said, evening and morning and at noon I will pray and cry aloud, and you will hear my prayer. The offering up of incense. Remember it's not only, it's your prayers and it's your service. Your love of the saints, the giving of funds, all of that. So anyway, there we go. My point was, your, your intercession is called for. Your prayers are called for. I said last week, no one ever gets to be a mature Christian you're never a really great Christian unless you simply give yourself to prayer. You, now, people will always feel they're weak in prayer. They always feel they're not much good at it. It's not the point. You give yourself to it. You take the time to pray. You learn to pray. You open, if, if you find lack of inspiration, open the Bible and read a psalm, and then it's so much easier to pray. Read any, any scripture. T- take a, even just one promise, or you start to pray if you'd have trouble sitting and praying try praying out loud if um if you have trouble praying alone call the household together and let them sit while you pray out loud this morning i had something really 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 important to pray about and i got up and made a cup of tea and i'm sitting there thinking about it but just wasn't in the mood i just you know just had no go in me so i said to hazel i have got to pray this prayer i'm going to pray it right now she sat in the lounge i stood there I started to pray, man, the spirit of God came on me. The very person that thought he had nothing, no inspiration, no go, no zest, no zeal. It needed to be an aggressive prayer. It just wasn't in me. But I started praying that as I gave myself to the will of God and lo and behold, that thing took off. And it was such a good prayer. In, and um, so we, we're all called to it. Every one of us. Because we have, we have a life that must be offered up as incense unto the Lord. You know what the deal is? In in the tabernacle, which was the temple of God, the symbol, the symbol of what the body of Christ on earth is all about, incense was constantly in the presence of God. You know what the problem with so many churches is? There's no prayer. There's hardly anything in the way of a prayer meeting. They might have one once a week and three people turn up and there's no emphasis put on it from one week to the next it's, you know why? It's in the too hard basket. And you know why it's in the too hard basket? Because it's the one thing in Christian life, but especially especially the one thing in church life, the enemy resists. It's, it's because it's the one thing in church life that makes the difference. It's, it's the cutting edge. It's where the power is, is the church prayer meeting. In other words, the critical factor in church life is when believers meet to pray we we pray every day at home we prayed morning and night in our hearts but there must be this time we meet to pray because that really sharpens the cutting edge of the church and you go somewhere you cannot possibly break through in the spirit without corporate prayer prayer of agreement prayer where believers meet and pray so what does that mean we must be a tabernacle or we must be a temple in which the incense is, that is the altar of our hearts has incense before the presence of God all the time. Every morning, every night, incense being offered up by the church in prayer. Hugely important. Can you imagine that tabernacle? If the light wasn't on and the incense wasn't burning, It'd be cold in there. It'd be dead. There's plenty of churches that are a bit too cool and not alive enough. And it's because this is what is lacking. So this is why Paul says, Ephesians 6, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. Keep alert with all perseverance. Make supplication for all the saints and also for me. It's why he says in Colossians 1, and so from the day we heard, we not cease to pray for you. Um, jump down to Colossians chapter 4. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. And the next verse, at the same time pray also for us because the apostle could not do his job, wasn't even, didn't even have the freedom to speak as he ought to without the prayers of the saints. However, one more little thing. unforgiveness if it's in the heart of any of us unforgiveness hinders your prayers you it cuts off the power of your prayer so you might be praying well enough or seeking or you know daily having your devotions but when you're carrying unforgiveness in your heart you is like there's a barrier it's not that the lord doesn't love you it's not that you don't love the lord but for some reason something's not working something's not flowing this is why Jesus said in Mark 11 whenever you stand praying forgive Mark 11 we'll come up in a moment on the screen whenever you stand praying forgive if you have anything against anyone so that your father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses there are two things here one is Very clear because the Bible says it over and over and over and over. If you don't forgive other people, you're holding on to unforgiveness. Your own sins are still present. You have not yourself been fully and properly released from your sins. If you won't release someone else from their sins. You may think their sins are awful. And they may have hurt you. And you might think your sins are small. But your sins remain as high as a mountain, as a hindrance to your prayers, if you don't forgive others. Because if you won't, if you won't give grace to others, you cannot receive grace. It's a, and the Bible says this over and over. Dear friends, here's what happens when sin is in the road. Isaiah 59. Surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, nor his ear too dull to hear. But your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. For your hands are stained with blood, your fingers with guilt, your lips have spoken lies, and your tongue mutters wicked things. The trouble is you read that and you don't think it's you. Your hands are stained with blood. If you won't forgive another person, Your hands are stained with blood. Because you're holding, you're saying they're not worthy, they shouldn't be forgiven. You you are condemning them. You're condemning them because of their sins. Your hands are stained with blood. All of these words apply to us. Your fingers with guilt, your lips have spoken lies, and your tongue mutters wicked things. It's wicked not to forgive. And so what happens is the Lord's not against you. He doesn't hate you, despise you, reject you, but he wants you to walk in grace. And to walk in grace means that you've been freed from your sins and because of that, you easily forgive the sins of others, or you must learn to. You must learn this way. I know of a town in Australia, where I was there praying one day with the pastor and his people. And I saw all this red stuff up and down all the streets of the town, but some streets had a lot more in it. All the main thoroughfares were like painted red. And the Lord told me what it was. There was a woman in that town, a member of one of the churches, been there for decades, very outspoken very active in things in the body of Christ but she was a critic and I happened to know that she and her husband were proud of the fact that they had prayed various ministers they did not like prayed them out of town what the Lord said to me was this red stuff was blood and that that woman had blood on her hands I would hate to be in her shoes on judgment day. Blood on your hands comes from what you think and what you say or what you fail to say. But the simple thing is, forgive other people, release them from their sins, even if their sins are against you or against someone else and whatever you do, don't be an unrighteous judge. But Keep your heart clean. Now, not only does unforgiveness hinder your own prayers, so the best thing, we all want prayer answered. I always make sure my heart is clean, my attitude to other people is good. I live that way. You cannot afford to be, to, to be shorn of power. But it not only affects your own prayers, when you're in a prayer meeting with other believers and with your pastors and leaders, your unforgiveness affects the power of the prayer meeting. I'll give you an example, uh, not about forgiveness. Years ago, 20 years ago now, we were having daily prayer meetings. I mean, every morning we did. Years and years and years. Every morning, a whole hour pouring into prayer. Everyone was there. All the ministry staff, all the office staff, other people would come. So, we always had a good group of people every morning pour into prayer. And we went through periods where where money was really tight. And I remember this period where day by day, one of the things we're crying out to the Lord for was his provision that, that money would flow for the ministry. And one day, and there was a fellow that used to join us every day. He wasn't on the staff, but he was available. He used to come in. He used to love to come, he was very supportive. Used to travel with us too sometimes, and our teams went out. It was very supportive, and he would come, he would pray too. But I'm sitting there one day in the prayer meeting after we'd poured out our heart, I remember, I had, David had, Tony had, others had, poured out our hearts for finance to be released. And the Lord said to me, You have an earth leakage. Meaning we're praying well enough, but something was totally emasculating the prayers, drawing all the power off from the prayers. The pra- power of the prayer meeting just draining away into the ground. Lord, open my as to what it was. It was this fellow. And it turned out that even though he was in the prayer meeting every day while we're praying for finance, and even though he would join his prayer in and pray for it, he never gave a dollar. He never tithed. I chatted with him about it, because it's not legalistic, it's just finding freedom. And if you don't find free, freedom in finance, you can't find freedom in anything as a Christian. His soul was bound with fear, it turned out. I chatted with him. It turned out he, he believed in tithing and knew it was right and knew he should obey the Lord in it, but he was afraid. He didn't have enough. He was, he was so fearful he could not release a dollar, but the same guy lived in abject poverty. But not only was his fear wrecking his life, sitting in the prayer meeting, agreeing with us in prayer, was a hypocrite. Now he loved, he loved the Lord, but he had this hypocrisy. The Lord said, you have an earth leakage. What this means is, none of us, when when going to prayer and especially joining in the prayers of the saints, should be blind to our need to deal with any hypocrisy but especially if it's unforgiveness or slandering of other people or the like Um, in the Solomon Islands when the revival fell and for 20 years afterwards I know because I was up there they when the power of the Holy Spirit fell and They would have the most mighty prayer meeting. They'd meet for prayer on Friday nights and and they would pray to midnight or they'd pray all night. But what they began to discover happening was people would come, be turning up for the prayer meeting, very often up on a mountain somewhere. And one after another, some of the people, they'd they'd get so close to the prayer meeting, they'd get to a certain point and they'd just get clobbered by the Holy Spirit. He'd just knock them down on the ground and there they were and he would not let them in. Some of these places had two posts set up. Nobody, you know, you had to go between the two posts and walk another 100 meters or more to get to the prayer meeting. There were people who could not get in between those two posts. The power of God would knock them down because their hearts were not right toward God. Now now that's power, right? That's presence. <laughs> we're, we're not going to put two posts at the door of our prayer room, but the, it's just the principle to learn that if you want power in a prayer meeting, none of us are perfect. We're all full of weakness and mistakes, but at least you come in humbly, repentant heart, willing to confess. What what is the replacement? when, When will you lose your innocence? The only thing you can replace it with is humility. That's what brings you into the presence of God. Remember, he says he gives grace to the humble. So if you've been faulty in Finding it difficult to forgive. Finding it difficult to control your tongue or your attitudes to other people. What are you going to do? At least confess it. Take the lowest place. Humble yourself before the Lord. Say, Lord, forgive me. At least get on good ground. Humility. Notice there are similar things. Bitterness of heart. Someone sitting in the prayer meeting bitter. You rob the prayer meeting of power. Offence taking. Or... This is an important one. My experience, look, I've been in ministry, not quite 50 years, but getting there. What I've observed over all these years is this. It's a greater sin, generally, most of the time, it's a greater sin to take offense than to give offense. Because very often when someone gets offended, what they're offended by, the person didn't mean to offend them and often didn't even know it was offensive. But someone gets offended, they've taken offense, that's a sin. If you feel offended, if you feel hurt by somebody, it's it's probably 80% more likely that it's your sin than their sin. So I've often warned people against offense-taking. It's listed in scripture too as a sin, offense-taking. Much worse than offence giving. If you find your heart offended over something, man, please be quick to deal with that so it doesn't hinder your prayers. That that falls into the same category as forgiveness, except the person didn't do you a wrong, but you're thinking and acting like they did. You've got to deal with that. Slurring other people too. You know, saying things about other people, it might be true, but you ought not say it. It's not your place. That's, when you do that, you've made yourself an unrighteous judge. And not just a judge, an unrighteous judge. All your sins will be still, still present with you because you, you slur other people. You slur their name. You say something about them that demeans them in the eyes of other people. This should not be. These are wicked sins, actually. But they're not that hard to get free from. The Lord can give us a clean heart. Praise God. All right. The Friday night watch needs to start again. For a month or more, I've been keeping the watch at home all on my own. I set myself up on Friday night, comfortable, in the lounge at home, good cup of tea. Get up and get another one if I need it. And I will pray often to the later hour, 10, 10:30, whatever. Last Friday night, I said, no, Hazel, we're going to go into the church. Got to come in here. We did, we came, we got in the office, just the two of us kept the watch. What I realized was a whole lot of young people meet here on Friday night and back in the days when a whole lot of adults turned up and kept the watch, young people are conscious of that. There are adults praying. It's a great example of Christianity, great example of what church life is about. And, and we've had a little rest for a while but if that doesn't continue, you've got young people who meet no mental picture of the bigger church life and of the importance of prayer. No great example being set for them. No, there needs to be a prayer meeting on Friday night at the same time as youth. And and some of those individuals, uh, you know, the prayer meeting can be 7.30 to 9 or 9.30. For some, they might stay on, pray to midnight. But it needs to be. However, we we need a fresh work because... The watch was the single most important prayer meeting we had, aside from the church council that was the single most important prayer meeting we have, aside from all the early morning prayer meetings that are also the single most important prayer meetings we have. The truth is each of them strengthens the other. And then pastors praying together, all of these are critical components. I mean, which, which wheel could you take off your car and throw away and the car still be fine? You need all the prayer meetings. You you need all of them. The church council. This church cannot be healthy if the church council does not meet and pray, pour out their heart in prayer. Neither can we really find the way of God and keep the blessing if there aren't those early morning prayer meetings. And then, you know, past as much pray. And then the watch we must have. So friends, um, however, We've had a period of grace we can't have the work go off the boil there's got to be a fresh start so this coming friday night i'm going to be here to keep the watch and i'm going to start going to go to the prayer room over here at the moment the lights are not turned off by the way we had to do a huge amount of electrical work all sub boards a whole lot of stuff because there was never enough power in this building but the trouble was ergon didn't have enough power in the street this has held us up a long time but finally uh, and it's all been wired up ready to go but, and all these wires up through here but there's still a connection to be made but next Friday night whether we've got power in that room or not that's where we'll meet and pray because we can bring portable lights I've got some good ones there's no air con but it's cooler weather and we've got windows we can open and it's a soundproof room and we can do what Jesus did and pray with strong cries and tears uh, as the spirit enables so if you want to meet me in there next Friday night 7.30 now I'm only here another few weeks and then I'm away three months David of course will be taking responsibility for the watch scripture came to me while I was sitting there this morning to say something to you that Jesus said to his he said it's good for you that I go away but if I go away I'll come again <laughs> and I feel somehow the Lord means that when He says it's good for you if I go away, I'm going away for three months. I'm going to be praying for you every day and praying for David, probably keeping the watch in my own way, out in Kakadu or somewhere, and um, believing God for you know good things at home. Now we're going to restart the watch, but with a rule, a new rule. Nobody comes in that door if you have not forgiven those who have hurt you and released them completely from your judgments. If your heart is not clean in that one particular matter, don't join a church prayer meeting. That's not the end statement, don't join a church prayer meeting. It is take your heart to the Lord, get a breakthrough, grace wash over you, and then you will find freedom. You'll be so much happier because you might not realize it but whatever you carry a bitterness or an anger or an unforgiveness, you are being chewed up on the inside and your life harmed and you're not producing fruit and life will be a struggle for you. no, Your heart must be full of forgiveness and grace. No more anger. Uh, So here, one more scripture. This might be the last. uh, well. Jesus says, okay, here we go. Matthew 5, we better deal with this. You've heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Now this does not mean judgment thrown into eternal fire. It means that in the course of this life you're doing it tough because you're being disciplined because you're in the flesh. Paul said to the Corinthians, this is why many of you are weak. Many of you are sick. Some of you have died prematurely. They're judgments. You want to be free of all of that. I tell you, anyone angry with a brother or sister who is subject to judgment again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, raka, which means you fool. In other words, anyone who's, who speaks derogatively like that will be in danger of the fire hell. So you're not quite there, but you're in danger of it. Because if that takes your life right off course and you end up in a hellhole hole of, of unbelief and hatred. And by the way, hatred is the same spirit of murderers, according to Jesus. Settle matters, oh no, no, here we are, verse 23, this is the crew. one. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar, first go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. Let me quickly say what this is and what it is not. It's not referring to your tithe, the tithe is not a gift. We had someone recently in the church who, because relationships were strained with someone, they they weren't refusing to give their tithe but they, they, they held it they, they, they kept it in, in their account you know, building up until they could try and resolve that relationship problem and they did it on the basis of this scripture but I said to them you got that wrong I said a tithe is not a gift the tithe is your responsibility it's your act of submission it's an act of obedience and of submission this scripture is not about that at all and I said, besides, it says, leave it before the altar, not in your bank account. So perhaps you at least you should have come and put it in the hands of a pastor and said, hold this for me, please, until I sort my heart out. But no, it doesn't apply to the tithe. But you could apply it to just about everything else, not just a financial offering to the Lord, which was being spoken here. But your gift, your, your gift is your service, your gift is your time in prayer you know, your, your gift is prophesying, your gift is, is, you know, music, whatever. Well, I think, I think no, don't, don't hold back on what you want to be. Fix your heart. And just remember, it's not always up to you. Paul said very clearly, in so far as it lies with you, be at peace with all men. There are some people you can't make peace with. You know, I, I have enemies but, but I love I forgive it's, it's, there's no barrier on my side so no if people choose to stay in their bitterness that's, that does not this scripture does not apply to that insofar as it lieth with you be at peace anyway one more thing if it's before the altar guess what that means it means you've at least brought it to the Lord. The issues of life. You've brought them to the Lord. It's before the altar. And uh, the altar is not only the cross of Jesus. But it's the throne of grace in prayer. The altar of incense. We close with this note. John 20. John 20. John um, Jesus said to them peace be with you as the father has sent me even so I'm sending you. And when he had said this he breathed on them and said to them. Now listen carefully to the words. Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any they are forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness from any it is withheld. What we're talking about now. We're now talking about not you needing to personally forgive people where you've had an issue. No you've left all that behind. You're clean Your heart is free. You live out of forgiveness. Oh, this is another thing altogether. This is now Christian ministry. You're a Christian woman. You're a Christian man. You're walking with God. You're in the service of Christ. You're in the church. There are people, perhaps in the church and outside the church, who need your ministry of releasing them from their sins. Remember, Jesus has given you a power. He's given you power. Remember remember Jesus. They'd often bring someone to him who was sick. A leper or, or a cripple. And the first thing he'd say to them is son. Your sins are forgiven. Do you remember that? Well it turns out he's passed the ministry on to you. And notice it was. He did two things. This is in a resurrection appearance in the upper room. First he says peace to you. He irradiates them with grace. And then he fills them with the Holy Spirit. That's what it says. He says to them, receive the Holy Spirit. And then he does a third thing. He gives them a power. He gives them an authority with a command to how to minister. And it is, you have the power to forgive other people. In other words, you have the power to release people from their sins. I often have someone in a prayer line, not necessarily here. It could be anywhere in the world. And I'll realize as I'm praying for them that one of the important things I can do is release them from the sins of their ancestors and from their own sins. And I'll pray it. Lay my hands on them in the name of the Lord Jesus. I release you from the sins of your ancestors. I release you from the vows of your ancestors. I release you from the curses of your ancestors and from their own sins. We have the power to do this. Jesus said, whoever sins you forgive are forgiven. It's a bit like that scripture that says, wherever you're bound on earth, be bound in heaven. Wherever you loose on earth, be loosed in heaven. Turns out sins are one of those things. And your, your faith might be small. Your experience might be small. Your level of authority might be small. But you can explore this. So here's a follow on scripture. And by the way, Paul said, Paul wrote a letter. And he said, anyone you forgive, I also forgive. And he says, I forgive them in the sight of Christ. So that Satan will not outwit us. But here, John 1 John 5, 16. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. He adds on there's a sin that leads to death and basically says, I don't know what to say about that. You know, yes, there'll be circumstances, but mostly, mostly people are not committing sins that lead to death. Your job, according to John, is if you see, if you see a brother, that's a brother another Christian committing a sin leads to death I've prayed this a, a good bit lately where I see a problem in someone's life of sin I'll pray Lord forgive them for their sins and I'll declare I release them from their sins in Jesus name you, you know you pour in this kind of prayer because friends in the end it makes a huge difference so you've all got the job why you're all priests you're all priests before the Lord alright um End end of the lesson. But I announced last Sunday that we're going to put in place some intercession teams. Now these are um, this is just re- relaxed. It's just a relaxed way of saying to people, Are you willing to commit to pray for the pastor of the church and church life every day? You know, we're all meant to be praying every day anyway. Shirley used to do this. We Shirley used to make sure we had about 40 people every day pray for me. What I want is simply to encourage every single person in the whole church, pray for David every day. David needs your blessing, your protection. And besides which, if you pray for him and lift him up, he becomes a greater man. He, he becomes a greater leader. The church becomes greater. All of our opportunities become greater. He needs your prayer every day. Pray for him. Pray for church life. Pray for the Apostolic Message going out and for me too. But if you could do this basic thing. Shirley used to get round and, and make sure a heap of people were praying for me every day. But what um, we've, as I said last week, Samantha carried. Samantha, stand for a moment, take a bow. Everybody give a round of applause. Come on, Sam. Let's see Sam. Here is Sam, a hero of the faith. Turn round, Sam, every ah. Praise God. Samantha is the leader of the team. The, the Irish say McNamara led the band but no, in this case <laughs> it's Samantha. And um, we, But we're going to get in terms of age groups in the church we're going to have leaders under Sam who just in their age group go around and say uh, can you commit to pray for David every day it's as simple as that it's an, it's an encouragement to feel that now we've got broad based personal intercession going on. Now we need six leaders for this I've put four in place, two yet to be announced the four in place are these. Shirley is going to be doing the seniors over 60 or perhaps 60 plus. You're in Shirley's team. She'll want to know if you're uh, going okay in your daily intercession. Now, this is not high powered, this is just gentle, relational. Samantha Carriage herself will take care of the mature, aged people, you know, 35 to 60 or 40 to 60. The, the numbers can overlap a bit, doesn't matter. Starting on the bottom end the uh, primary school kids Hannah Badley Hannah will be the one who encourages our children to pray probably the most important prayer group in the whole church children the next lot up are the young teenagers junior high kids Benjamin Crossley Benjamin where's okay we'll take about Benjamin wherever you are and uh, now they're the yeah, they're the four I've got in place and I've got two more in mind but haven't been able to see them yet. I did have a good discussion about it with the youth leaders. So this is all coming along very nicely and we thank God for it. Um, in a moment, I will have a closing prayer but I want to give you an opportunity to bring your heart afresh to Jesus before we close. Over the ark... Of the testimony, better known as the Ark of the Covenant, but the same thing. It's a most beautiful picture. That God puts a covenant covenant in place for the blessing and the salvation of His people, represented by the law on these stone tablets, and He puts them in the Ark, but over the Ark, over over the testimony. It's very specific the language that over the the testimony over the tablets of the testimony sat the mercy seat and that's the mercy seat that we come to not the one that was in the tabernacle rather it's the heart of Jesus we come to the throne of grace it's the heart of Jesus the mercy seat it's actually called if you go to Hebrews and read the passage it says come with boldness and confidence to the throne of grace and there we shall obtain what's the next word? mercy it's the mercy seat this throne of grace to which you come confidently is the mercy seat let's bow our heads together We come to the mercy seat. If anyone is aware of sin, if you're aware of slander or hypocrisy or unforgiveness or or carrying hurt and bitterness or or offence, keep the heart clean. I know if ever I have important prayer and I must have answers, I'll check my heart on these things. I've done this ever since I was 21 because I knew the truth. Let him wash you today. You're at the mercy seat. Just simple confession, the the yielding of your heart before the Lord, simple confession. Repent before the Lord. The issue is not whether you feel different the issue is simply whether you take the right attitude. Feelings will soon follow, but we take the right attitude today. Lord, if any one of us has sinned and we all, we all have our weaknesses and we've all had our sins, and I ask your forgiveness. And If anyone today has still something that needs to be cleansed away, hear their cry. As we humble our hearts before you, Lord, wash our hearts. Cleanse our hearts. That that the church might be clean. That the church might be pure and holy. That the incense offered would be pure incense before the Lord. That our lives might be holy to God. Holy to God. Lord, would you forgive every sin just now. And if in any heart there is something that's been like a burr that maybe maybe they've been blind to it as well, but Lord, I'm asking, show them, forgive them, release them, free them, and now fill them with the Holy Spirit. Thank you for mercy. Thank you at the mercy seat. We find mercy and we find grace to help us in our time of need. Everybody now receive his spirit. And in the name of the Lord Jesus, I place the Spirit of Christ upon every one of you. I release it to your hearts and into your minds, to the health of your bodies, to the presence of God. The presence of God in your homes, I give to you. Lord, your presence fill every home, your peace on every heart. I bless your people. Thank you, Lord, for grace that flows to them now, the love of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, grace, peace, and mercy. To all the saints, I thank you that you hear our prayers. In Jesus' name, amen. Yes, I thank you, Lord. One, one more prayer share with me, friends. Uh, it's a week to the election. I'm going to pray the Lord's hand upon the election and upon Australia so many issues and needs. Give me your heart as we offer this prayer. Father, we pray for Australia and ask that you would lift it up and carry it in the direction it should go, must go, needs to go. I ask your protection upon Australia, especially with all the security issues in the world, that you would bless, you'd protect. And we pray concerning the election and ask Lord that your hand would be upon this election And that you'd bring about changes. There'd be intervention. That is, as things stand right now, Lord, step in for anything that needs to be changed. And I ask, Lord, concerning witchcraft and sorcery and incantations and projections of of scheming people and of accusations and of jealousies, I cut it all off. I bind the spirits. I cut off all the witchcraft against those candidates who ought to be standing. In the name of the Lord Jesus, I, I cut off all the witchcraft that puffs up empty people. In Jesus' name, I bind the spirits, command every spirit to stand aside. I release this election from the manipulations of witchcraft. Now Lord, I pray, bring about gracious outcomes The mercy of the Lord be at work in the election. I thank you that you hear our prayers. And we bless this nation today. I bless the church and the nation. We bless the city of Rockhampton. Commit it, Lord, all to your care. In Jesus' name. Amen.